All right, gang, it is officially that time. It is the best Tuesday you've had all week, and it's time for the True Wealth Radio Show. I am your host, Dave Littlejohn, and today in the wrong studio, but you guys don't know that because it's radio, right? But we're we're in the uh, winging it studio, making it up as we go. But I did bring in, fortunately, a seasoned pro as a guest today. Thank you for joining me today, Mr. Barry Robinson. Thank you, David. And uh, for those of you that don't know, Barry is uh, one of the smartest guys I know. Do not try to sneak trivia past this guy. I'm just telling you. And uh, we have, uh, he is, what's what's your formal title right now? General Manager of Ameritidal. Okay, so that's the formal, because I just know him as my title guru, right? I so, will take that. Yeah, so all of the things that uh, when it comes to, hey, I've got to figure out, uh, <laughs> some kind of real estate transaction. Actually, it kind of go to you for most real estate transactions generically. So like if I've got a question about something in real estate, you're just a fantastic wealth of knowledge. Well, thank you. So uh, I actually think it might be kind of interesting to, we may talk a little bit about that because I know you get to see a lot in real estate, just the, uh, so I, I have a few questions that may, <laughs> I don't even know if you're allowed to answer these, so you could tell me if you're not. Uh, how's the transaction volume these days? The transaction volume has decreased. Okay. So just from July to August, it's down about 6%. Okay. Uh, over year over year, it's probably down about 16% from last year. Okay. So, and, and of course that's, I think that's your, your internal numbers at Ameritidal, right? So, uh, versus, or is that Oh, that'd be wide? Douglas County, right. Okay, so yeah. Douglas industry, County. I'm not sure, but as okay. far as Douglas County. Yeah. And you know, you've been doing this for a long time. Does Douglas County track pretty close or is that, is it, is, are we really needing to be like a lot of things in real estate? It's going to be regional and location specific. Yeah. Real estate is always uh, local, but what's unique about Douglas County is we don't have a lot of inventory. So that's our challenge right now. It's a lot of people think it's interest rates because they're higher, a lot higher, right? You know, they're double what they were a year ago, roughly. Mm -hmm. But it's really that we don't have that three-bedroom, two-bath house available for sale. We hadn't had the buildup in construction. We have a lot of people that don't want to list their property for sale because they don't know where they're going to move to. Sure. And they also don't want to sell their house because of interest rates because they might have a 25 or 3% loan right now. They sell their house. They buy a new one at 7%. doesn't make sense. Yeah. We've talked about that. Uh, with Normally, I've got Matthew in here, or often, I should say. Uh, we have guests all the time. Uh, sometimes with Matthew, right? Right. He's on a vacation right now, so I don't. I think it might be a staycation, workcation. But you know what? He's young, and so if, the, if he's got the energy for that, God love him. Uh, but the, he, he's sort of in that situation of shopping, but inventory, exactly as you described, super yeah. low, and the rates are unattractive. And uh, it's interesting because it doesn't seem like the demand has really shifted that much, even though rates have gone up. Yeah, again, gets back to inventory because our our time on the market is pretty quick still. It's just now inching up to about three months, which historically in Douglas County, that's still pretty fast to sell properties. And we have, like I said, if you have that three-bedroom, two-bath home in Hewcrest or somewhere, mm -hmm. uh, you're going to get multiple offers quickly. And pricing, which usually when the market slows down, Pricing decreases quite a bit, and we've not seen that in Douglas County. Pricing is staying pretty steady. It's down slightly, but uh, but it's pretty stable, which, again, is unique in this market because when you have supply-demand issues, 
Well, in our case, we have demand, not enough supply, but at the same time, we have supply, not enough demand, if that makes any sense, with the interest rates. Therefore, pricing is staying about what it's been for the last few years. Yeah, that is. Well, yeah, it's. I'm going to try to summarize it this way. I always t use interest rates as a you know, code for the cost of capital, right? What's it cost somebody to access money, right? And if, the, if interest rates are higher, the cost of capital is higher. So it just means that you're going to spend more to borrow money. Uh, that means that you have less available potentially to buy something with. So that should be a reduction in demand. But we've had this simultaneous low supply that seems to have kept the price pretty stable. That is, am I unpacking yep. that about no, right? You're exactly right. Yeah. And, and this really does get back to the core of, I really think at the fundamental level for pretty much all financial discussions, we can talk about the regulatory environment. Uh, we can talk about economic conditions. We can talk about demographics. I mean, all those things are interesting and relevant, but to what? And it's price discovery, which ultimately boils down to supply and demand. Right, and most people buy a house based on what they can afford as far as monthly payment. Mm -hmm. With higher interest rate, you have a higher monthly payment. Even though over the course of time, real estate has utility, meaning you get to live in it, does it really matter in some sense what you pay for it today? Because at some point in time, it's gonna be more than it is now. And you get to live in it while that more is happening, that increase. It doesn't mean every year markets go up and down, but over the course of time, real estate always gets higher. Just yeah, And it, it, it will, right? I mean, people sit there and go, well, okay, it's true. You could destroy a piece of property, right? You could not maintain it, and it could functionally decline in value because you've not maintained it. But it, it goes up because from an inflationary perspective, the U.S. government and the banking system has designed inflation into the system. There is a target rate of inflation that they're intending to have happen and you, uh, probably not well understood i would guess for a lot of folks but one of the core things that drives that long-term inflation it's not just economic growth and it's not the manipulation of money supply it is stable population and population increase right so you can build that in because if you have a population increase and you're increasing the amount of currency you're sort of offsetting a little bit because you got more people competing for the currency it gets a lot more concerning if you have a decreasing population because you have demand destruction through demographics while simultaneously watering down the currency. Right, and that's another benefit of Douglas County. We have such a beautiful place to live, a desirable place to live that people are now discovering that mm -hmm. we have people moving in, which also puts pressure on that supply side yeah. because people are buying in. And a lot of people coming in have cash, so interest rates don't really affect them in a sense. In a sense, true. And plus, still... Uh, we're somewhat of an undiscovered market, I think. Uh, I don't know if this is still true, but at one point somebody said that Douglas County was the most affordable real estate on Interstate 5 between San Francisco and Seattle. And that was probably true at one point. I think we're inching up. I think that discrepancy yeah. is, but it historically has been true because right. we sit in the middle. We're on I-5. We're one of the undiscovered places on I-5. Right. And we have, again, just the most beautiful place. I, especially this time of year or springtime, where would you rather live? I would not rather live anywhere. Yeah, it's true. This is, we're in convertible season, right? So if you have a car that you could take the top off on, you're, we're in that season now. It's just right. <laughs> it's not too hot, not too cold. It's just amazing. And I do, I love this time of year. These transition seasons, uh, 
of course i'm lucky i don't really suffer from allergies anymore kind of outgrew those which is a good deal but for those of you out there that either hate the spring or the fall because that there's always some kind of something in the air that gets you all right i, I hear you but it's beautiful right now uh, although you could tell i'm starting to wake up before the sun it's been you know for a little while now for for a few weeks i've been waking up before the sun and i'm thinking that's less cool <laughs> You know, get out in the morning, get a little exercise, get the body moving, and watch the sunrise instead of being there early with Lincoln. Huh. <laughs> you know this is going to get worse, right? Right. <laughs> so, well, um, you know, you, I want to touch on a point that you brought up. It's one that maybe doesn't get discussed a ton, but I'm really curious, just your take on it, and where we think, how it, how it may continue to impact our markets here. So we've talked a lot about supply already. There's just this real shortage of inventory in Douglas County. What are some of the things that you think are contributing to that shortage? Well, that, that's a great question because we talked just a minute ago about you take regulation out and all the government you know, money supply things, but the government does have a huge impact why we don't have as much housing. We got land use laws that restrict us from building. We have so much regulation to build a house mm -hmm. that the percentage of the cost of a house is really high for the fees and all of the things that go with the regulation, mm -hmm. which makes the pricing higher. Sure. Therefore, makes it less affordable. Therefore, it makes it harder to buy. And and I was talking to a builder about a month ago, and they said because of the the government regulation that many times they can't their goal is to build a house that's 80 percent of the median income of a community okay therefore 80 percent of the people if you're let's say i follow on average logic. fifty thousand yeah. uh, medium income 80 percent of that would be 40 right, right? So, so if you could afford a monthly payment of x with that right. income they could build a house they used to be able to build a house for that amount. Mm -hmm. Now they can't. Only about 10% of the communities that they build in, in Oregon, can they meet that that target. Okay, that's really wild. And I think super relevant to, you know, here we are on the True Well Show talking about, we, we've mentioned this before, when we talk about structural issues in a marketplace, okay, this is when the underpinning elements in the marketplace are uh, they complicate matters and increase cost, right? And, and I'm, I'm sort of oversimplifying by saying, oh, they complicate it and increase it. But the regulations are a real example of this. I mean, I think we can unpack several things, even from at just the, the business operational level, things like corporate activity tax, right? A tax on gross, that, that's basically a tax on the margins of the business. That's a phantom sales tax. That's, that gets passed on to a consumer, right? And there's lots of those. But I think about some of the... Uh, the cost, I think at one point, and this was a few years ago we were looking at this, it was about $30,000 worth of permitting and such before you put a shovel in the ground to start even moving dirt. And that to me was just extraordinarily high. Uh, I want to talk a little bit more about this, but my understanding is we have to take one of those evil corporate profit breaks first. <laughs> 
so evil. So, so evil. Yeah. So it's uh, so we're gonna we're gonna grab a quick break, and when we come back, uh, let's let's look into that a little bit more. The, the structural elements that are influencing the supply side of real estate here in Douglas County, with my special guest Barry Robinson. My name is Dave Littlejohn, and you're listening to the True Wealth Show on News Radio 93.9 FM and 12:40 KQEN. Right, gang, and we are back from, of course, our uh, exceptional profit break. Which it's you know you get, you got to do that. And for those of you that stuck around, thank you because you know now this uh, this station continues to operate. So we're delighted here, and we get to continue to bring you all kinds of information. My special guest today, Mr. Barry Robinson. Thank you again, David. Yep, and. Uh, just a reminder, if you are just figuring out, guys, you can grab a podcast on this thing. We'll, it'll be published at our website tomorrow. Go to littlejohnfs.com, and you can get connected with that. you got all the backlog of what we've done in the past, too. So uh, you can listen until your heart's content. We're, I don't know, we got six-plus years of uh, podcasts going on there. It's, it's enough to handle your commute for a while. Right. Okay, so... We left our listeners on this cliffhanger of structural issues impacting the supply side of real estate in our community. And to me, structural is when you start to get, um, let's just call them financial barriers, be they economic or government imposed through regulation or other restriction. What are some of the things, I was baffled. I mean, the, the statistic again, you said that the builders can't build for how do you describe the for yeah, listeners? Eighty percent. Uh, so this was a statewide okay. builder, but their target is to be able to build a house that a person making or the family making eighty percent of the median average income or median income in that community could afford. Okay. So they do the math and say you can you know, twelve hundred another month payment, you could own a three hundred thousand dollar house. Right. So we'll build a three hundred thousand dollar house. Uh, they can't build a house for three hundred thousand dollars in Douglas County. Yeah. Or and so my question is why? What yeah. what is it that's making that the case? Yeah, so there's all kinds of system charges, there's all kinds of government regulations that just add to the bureaucracy of the building the house. There's just a number of things that through Oregon land use laws that makes land unavailable. Like in our area we have only so much land that we can actually build homes on. And, and that gets worse as you go north. Like in Portland, they can only go up, right? Yeah. They don't let people. So if you're in Portland even and you want to build in Portland, which this will sound yeah, that, my bias. Like, Why would you want to live in Portland? But, <laughs> yeah. um, but if you do choose these to, days right. too, like Portland's got some, they're not just financial issues going on in Portland right, right but, now. But they have to buy an, an older home, pay a fortune for it, right. tear it down and build a new house just so they can build a house in, in that area. Cause right. they, can't their land use is restricted and part of that's because the government the city bureaucracy there wants people to be closer they want more dense population i'm not saying people in portland are dense but they don't vote like we do so maybe they're uh, ha there goes my bias i know right. hashtag true story <laughs> right go on <laughs> but, but there are things the government can impose on us that cause everything to be just takes more time and more times money as we know. So if it takes nine months to build a house, I used to have a customer that could build a house about every two and a half months. Mm -hmm. And he made a good living by building that many houses in a year. 
where then it got stretched out where it takes about four and a half months. Well, he can't make the same living in four, you know, so now he has right. to either charge more for the same product right. so that he can survive or add a bunch of employees that now he has this overhead that he mm -hmm. didn't have before. So if things slow down, then he has that issue. And um, so there's just this whole dynamic of, of time. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating to me because it's so many layers of it, right? Um, we've seen the bureaucracy that's affecting the supply of raw materials, right? And, and we know, for example, the availability of lumber. It's a, it's a real sensitive issue in this area, of course. And for those of you out of area that are listening, you probably don't get the, the issues the same way that we are when we're in it. And I, let me say we, because you know, living here in Douglas County, we're just wrapping up forest fire season, right? Most people have like baseball season. Right. And we get forest fire season right. where there were days where our students were told to stay indoors and they could not do outdoor activities because there was so much smoke in the air that it was considered a health hazard, okay? This is the kind of stuff where, you know, they used to have smog warnings in LA. We have forest fire warnings in low density populations in rural Oregon where our forests burn. Much of it because of, and, and I don't know all the details about this, right? Like, so I'm dangerous when I say this. So this is my very, uh, under-informed opinion, okay? But previous policy where the federal government, uh, first they hadn't taken over a lot of lands, then they sort of federalized a bunch of lands, and initially the policy was to sort of subdue forest fires. And after three or four decades, there was a change in policy to allow fires to run their course. But the suppression of those fires had caused the natural materials that were falling in the forest to build up to a point that now when things catch fire, they burn much more intensely. And rather than burning through a forest, which the intention is, a lot of forests can benefit from a little bit of fire. It cleans out the underbrush. It thins things out. It allows trees to, to grow because they get more sunlight. It puts nutrient back in the soil. There's a lot of things to that cycle that are beneficial, right? I know I'm way off the, the course here, but for all of our listeners, just know this is part of our, our DNA here, is that the, it, it's a little bit good, but if it gets too hot, it will kill the trees, right? Trees can survive forest fires if it burns underneath them and not doesn't destroy the canopy, right? They're, they're pretty hardy, but if it gets hot enough, it kills the trees and it scorches the earth at the same time. And now it takes a lot longer for the earth to heal. And then you have to regrow an entire forest. And on top of that, now you've killed trees that are still usable because it's the outside of the tree that's growing, not the inside. <laughs> and so you can still harvest that tree and use it as merchantable timber. But because of environmental regulation, oftentimes that cannot be harvested. So then it goes to rot. And what does it do? It becomes more material that burns again right, and, that's and the, further pushes out how long that forest takes to heal. Yeah, and that's a big challenge. Like we have some great local companies like Roser Forest Products, Lone Rock Timbers, Swanson, Seneca, you throw all those private owners in there. When there's a fire, they get right in there, they start harvesting, they get those logs on the market, and then they start replanting. Right. Unfortunately, the private ownership in Douglas County of timber is very small. small. Yeah. Although it's hundreds of thousands of millions of acres, it's a lot of acreage. But, but the, it's a percentage of the total. Exactly. But when a fire happens on federal land, they don't allow them to go in and harvest right after. 
and they don't get those logs on the market. So now you just have rotting value. If you look at Douglas County, most of our value is in our trees and you have all this rotting value and it all it does is adds more fuel to the next fire that comes through the same area again. And so it perpetuates this problem where again, our private landowners, they get in there, they harvest, they replant. We're, you know, now 25, 30, 40 years from now, we have more trees. But under the federal stuff, like I said, the environmental challenges and the environmental uh, impact of, of lawsuits and all that kind of stuff, it keeps mm -hmm. us from harvesting, which seems like the most common sense thing to do is if it burns, go cut those bad dead trees, sell them, it pays for the force fighting, and yeah. you replant the timber. So it doesn't right. make any sense at all. And it, it, since it's a renewable resource, one, it helps, I mean, it does to a certain extent, depending on who's doing the harvesting and how, I mean, it impacts the price of things, but it should, if anything, lower the price to market, which would relieve some of the costs to build. And and the real irony of this whole feedback loop to me is that the environmental rationale is that we need to protect our forests. But once they burn, if we don't go in there and manage them, what happens is the ecosystem changes. Right. Right? And, and, it, and this is a very real thing. If you, if you don't believe me, go look up the, the the, the ecosystem shifts from being a coniferous forest to a deciduous forest, and that's a different ecosystem. Right. And if you look at our local companies, again, we have phenomenal families that own these companies. They care generationally about the timber. Yeah, absolutely. And they hire foresters. There is no better environmentalist than a forester. Right. And so groups that come in and say, oh, just lock up your trees they're not doing us any favors. They're not benefiting the forest because the forest needs to regenerate and fires are natural sometimes. And it happens, like you said, there are some benefits to it. Why do we waste all that timber that can be used to employ people, to build homes, do all those things, just to watch it burn again. And then once it burns two or three times, then like you talked about the scorched earth, nothing will grow there anymore. So you have no value at all, right. even and in then, the land. And it ruins the habitat too. So it affects the animal life. It, the, the whole ecosystem gets impacted by it. So uh, yeah, I realize we just went off like really on a, a left turn here, but I do think it's very relevant in the scheme of, it, it all goes back to like, these are policies that then influence the supply side of materials that go into housing. Because what's the number one thing in housing? the wood products, right? I mean, that's what we build our houses out of around here. So wood products and, you know, we're, we're making them harder to access and cost more. And it's, it doesn't, it doesn't really make intuitive sense to me. Right. Plus when you're not harvesting, you're not maintaining roads. You don't have as many crews out there. The right. best defense for fires is building logging roads, yeah, getting access, out there, be able to right. get in there so people can access, even if you were just going to let something burn, you could still put a fire line up. I think a lot of people, especially if you're like on the East Coast or something and you're unfamiliar and you're listening to this and you're going, what are, what are they talking about? A logging road is access so that people can get in there to put in place fire lines. That's where they intentionally cut trees down and build up a, 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 a gap between the forests so that the fire can burn out and not leap over to the forest and continue, right? So it's a break. In, in the forest that you can you can physically create. They're not out there using hoses to fight these fires usually. They're using axes and bulldozers to cut down trees to, to arrest how far the fire makes it. So, but yeah, you, if you can't get into the forest, you really can't do much. Right, so that's been the big shift is the logging and the, the forest, the federal forest 
they're supposedly sell so much timber in a year, but yet they never meet that goal. And it's a much reduced number than it has historically been, which in Douglas County, that's a big deal because our whole governmental structure was based on timber receipts. Yeah. The, the, and, and you're saying that the, the funding for our government, a lot of it came from those timber receipts. When from, so much of our land is owned by the federal government. Yeah. Let's just real quickly, the, the, the basic idea, and I'm oversimplifying here again, but if you've heard of the concept of eminent domain, right? So that's like you have a piece of property and they need to build a freeway. Then the government comes in and says, I, uh, you may privately own it, but we're going to take it for a freeway. But we're going to pay you fair market value for it so that at least you're not completely getting hosed on the deal. And the people that are losing the property are going to probably think they're getting hosed anyway. But that's what the intention of eminent domain was. It's kind of what it was like when the federal government federalized forests in Douglas County. And the agreement was, we will give you a safety net of revenue to replace what we have confiscated in this federal land grab, if you will. And later on, they reneged on it. And, you know, there's been battles ever since for the funding mechanism for our county. Now, I'm the first person to say we probably should figure out a different funding mechanism, like as best we can. Like, how could we drive other economic activity that would encourage that? But I'm also the first to say, wait a second, <laughs> we got hosed on this deal. And the government shouldn't, because we are a smaller voting block, steamroll us. They should do the right thing, which is you took the land, you need to compensate appropriately for it. And it was an ongoing structure. Right. Another thing, too, is we grow the greatest trees in the entire world. True. The Douglas fir is a great building tree. And we have abundance of it. Let us mm -hmm. use it for what we can. And Douglas firs at some point fall down and die. Yeah. So why not harvest them? And I know people don't like the, the, like the cornfield type mentality of raising trees, but really that's kind of how it's we should look really at it. Long it just takes 40 cycle. or 50, exactly, yeah. 40 or 50 years to grow a tree up to harvest it. And then we plant more trees. And in Oregon, we plant trees. So we take one down, we put three in. And it's a great system like if we could do it. Exactly. Right? But for trees, two men enter, one, wait, no, the other way around. Yeah, one, so if you have the greatest leaves, resource, right, if you have the greatest resource in the world, Did why I not really utilize just make them? a Thunderdome reference on True Wealth? Uh, you know, we got to take a break on that one. We'll regroup. <laughs> All right. So we've talked about trees. Uh, we're going to talk more about these, the, the supply and demand and housing in Douglas County where, where I get to quiz Barry Robinson on fun stuff. But we got to take a break. Stick around. We'll be right back. I'm Dave Littlejohn. Barry Robinson. And you got True Wealth on News Radio 93.9 FM and 1240 KQEN. And we are back for this the next segment of the True Wealth Show where I know we have one more evil corporate profit break, but we don't have to take it yet, which is good. Barry, uh, thanks again for being here. And we just, we're, so we're going to reel it back in because apparently I took a, it wasn't a left turn. I guess it was a hard right, I was told, uh, discussing our forest fire and forest management theory, which, again, I don't know as much as I should. I think I just know the talking points, which makes me probably naive and dangerous. Well, and I've lived here my whole life, and 
the only reason I was able to go to college because I was able to work in the mill and I worked for DFPA fighting forest fires mm-hmm. and it is fr- frustrating when you see that all those beautiful trees that could be used for good for us as humans uh, are just sitting to let burn up. Yeah. Well, what broke my heart was the, the glide fires where there were a bunch of waterfalls that were close to the Highway 138, which was at one point practically on the federal scenic byway uh, tour. I think it was one step shy of being a federal landmark for being a beautiful highway. And uh, a bunch of it has just been destroyed. Yes. And so uh, in, in my lifetime, it, it will be usable again, but it will never be what it was in, in my lifetime. Right. So that that's pretty sad to see. And uh, yeah, I think it was preventable. That's the issue is that, you know, we had the resources to not have that occur, but because of what I believe is failed policy, that's where we went with it. But we're not going to continue down this path. <laughs> no, we are not. <laughs> we're going to talk a little bit more about, uh, you know, this. Uh, are you not football? We can. Uh, <laughs> I will say that it was it was a real close one last Saturday <laughs> and then they kicked off. Um, right. But still props to Hawaii. It was a beautiful night. I think Hawaii as a guest team was spoiled, yeah. right? Because it was a beautiful night. Um, yeah, great, great for football. Great night for football. And, um, you know, we'll see what happens with the Pac-2 next year. <laughs> that, that's going to be an interesting one. That league's going to be tough to watch. As far as our real estate discussion, though, right. we were talking about some of the things. So... What kind of inventory, I mean, maybe, I don't know why you'd know, you're not necessarily in, I mean, you're in the title side of it. Like when, when transactions occur, you guys see them. Correct. We have realtors that conduct the transaction. Yeah. We're the trusted third party in the middle that makes sure mm-hmm. everything's done correctly and closes on time and make sure that the property is vested properly and that it has access and all those types of things. But the real estate transaction, again, is between the parties and the realtors. Yeah, I always say you guys clean up the details in a lot of respects. That's a good way to say it. Right? The, the realtors may package the deal. Like, how are these sellers going to agree to make this transaction happen? But you guys make sure that it's tidy and that it, that it can happen. Well, the neat thing, the, the thing the title industry does is you have a buyer and a seller who don't know each other, don't trust each other, have no reason to believe that the either could live up to their end of the, the agreement. And the buyer has money and the seller has a deed and they both give those to the title company, in this case, Ameritidal, for me. And we make sure that the seller gets the money and the buyer gets the deed. And then we provide title insurance that makes sure if that deed, if there's something wrong in the chain of that title, that they have a clean title. And that's basically what we do. Okay. So this one, I did not prep Barry for this question, by the way. and uh, But I'm curious, when was... Have you all had any kind of um, title dispute of, of significance or note in recent memory? Well, there's always, th- because title companies, we go back, it's, it's, it's an interesting business because normal insurance, if you go to uh, a car insurance, they're insuring the future. So you sure. buy your insurance and you go crash your car two weeks from now, they pay a claim. If you crashed a car, Two years ago, they don't care, your current person. Now, they right. it might care about their rates and stuff. But, right. Are you going to do it again? <laughs> right. But title insurance, we go back to the original land patent from the federal government 
to that first owner, whoever that was, and come forward to the date of the sale. And when that closes, we're ensuring that from that moment all the way back to the original 1800 whatever, that the title is good. So you can imagine that amount of time, there can be things that are missed or aren't recorded properly or could be fraudulent. There might be a forged deed out there. There might be the wrong person signed the deed. There's all kinds of things that can happen. And we have land, so it's always being divided and split up and built on. And so you could have encroachments. There's a lot to it, but we insure the past where normal insurance insures the future. Yeah, see, this is where I have to give you like the most backhanded compliment. Okay, this will be fun. Um, as you keep going, like, oh boy. <laughs> uh, so, knowing you and knowing a merit title and the thoroughness that you all vet a title transfer, because I I I would argue that uh, there's probably nobody does it better than you. That that if I were brand X title, you guys seem so good at this that I could just not bother doing my research if you were the last transaction. I feel good about the compliment. Uh, I'm not going to say we're perfect or infallible, but what we do try to do is fix problems quickly. We actually have a our president, she was famous for this. She said, fix it big and fix it fast. So if something's wrong, we try to fix it because we truly believe in the integrity of the public record, mm -hmm. which means all the documents in the public record, which you can imagine is tens, hundreds of thousands of documents uh, that we want those to be accurate. So we try to fix things before the problem happens. Sure. And, and we have dedicated people right here in Douglas County. We're the only title company that does all our work right here in Douglas County. And I think that gives us a little bit better feel for the marketplace mm -hmm. because we know of common issues or something on a property. Maybe that subdivision years ago had some access issue. We're probably aware of it. Uh, we also go out if uh, one of the big things in title world is encroachment or encroachment where someone built something on your property. They may not have realized at the time, but now it's you're selling your property and you have this issue or they're selling their property and they have an issue. And we actually still go out and look to see if that fence line there is that building's there, if it's encroaching, and then we deal with it at that point. So we're one of the few companies that actually still does that. That's actually really comforting to hear, right? Now, uh, reason to me, of course, is it, I think there's some assumptions. I have heard this rumor, right? Now, I, I'm not subscribing to this rumor, but I've heard this rumor that suggests that you know, the, the last title company has already cleared all of this stuff, and you know we can look at it. it was only three years ago. What are we spending money on title insurance for right now? If it's already been cleared and the chain of custody is clear, and that this is the we're passing the baton to the next owner, why is this a requirement and the costs associated and so forth? Right. I mean, I, I mean, I right. hear this. Right. Uh, and, you know, and, and of course, my very simple response, which I'd love to hear more from you, is, well, do you want to own that liability? And, and I, I like the concept of insurance saying, well, I self-insure for small risks, but I insure with somebody else for big risks. Right. If you look at the percentage of title insurance policy versus the transaction itself, it's really small. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying that it's inconsequential and it's real money. But 
insurance policies, like anything, are for the current policyholder. So you might have bought or purchased a piece of property. You got title insurance at that time. Good for you. And then now you're selling it. Well, your buyer can't rely on your policy. Your buyer has to have their own policy. And there could have been mistakes, which, again, we're very fortunate. Douglas County, we have three really good companies. Uh, we do thorough work. Um, mm -hmm. I'm very proud of Douglas County title companies. I'm on the state board for the Oregon Escrow Council, and not all communities have the quality that we have locally. Right. So I feel good about that. And But there can be something missed. But, again, the policy is only insuring the, the current person. But when you're a seller, you're signing what we call warranty deed. It's a deed allowed in Oregon. And you're saying that from the beginning of time to, to that point you signed that deed, that everything's good about that title. Do you want to take on that liability? And will your buyer accept your guarantee? Right. Right. I don't know anybody has a, the wherewithal as an individual. Well, I'm not going to do it. I, that LLC right. that owns nothing is going to do it for me. Right. Uh, <laughs> so that's where title insurance comes from because, again, we issue a policy that has our strength behind it, which is substantial, sure. that says everything is good. And if it isn't, then we'll fix it. Um, so that's why you get title insurance on that next transaction, because it's insuring you, the new buyer, and it relieves the seller of that liability that something might have been wrong in the past. Now they could, maybe there was something missed in the title policy before, and they have some recourse back to that title company. I was just, can you guys do that? Could you go, I mean, if you catch a, an error that can you roll back to previous no because audits? we're not yeah because we're not a party to that transaction we're again a mm. neutral third party we're issuing our own insurance that title company issued theirs company before that but it does give us comfort that if we see that a property's been insured you know three or four times in the past somebody's it's, been it's good right. that yeah it's good yeah, yeah. that i mean yeah, intuitively that makes we sense. We still have to do our own research. We still go back to the beginning of time. We have our own database, what we call a title plant, but it makes us feel more comfortable when other title companies have matured it. Because again, we have good companies around here. Yeah. So perhaps a topic for another time. Uh, we may even, you know, have to bring you back. I feel like this, we, we've talked about this offline before, but it just seems like title is a really natural fit for something like a blockchain style transaction you know where once records are validated they get sort of memorialized in this uh, method of coding that you know one block is tied to the next to the next to the next so that it, it remains uh, sort of sovereign if you will right. and it's interesting too because we read every document because each county in Doug in oregon is its own county clerk has its own county records each company has their own uh, title plant and we read every document that associates with that property. And, and when so, I hear that, it sounds affordable, what you guys do. <laughs> right. It's just the, the hours involved to, yeah. to go through all of that, like hot dog. Right. So, um, yeah, I said that because I don't know what else to say for something that's that outlandish. I would not want to read through all those legal documents personally. We did a transaction one, once that had over 10,000 documents that we had to review. Just imagine yeah. that. Yeah, the the danger of having your mind go numb, very high. Yes. 10,000 documents. But we probably just bored the entire audience, so we got to get yeah. back to trees or something. Okay, well, <laughs> we'll get back to, maybe we'll do this, is uh, if you're in Douglas County and you're looking for a home, where might be the things that you, or what are some of the things that you could do that might help you, okay? So we'll we'll cover that and some other quality ideas right after this important break. 
until then, I'm Dave Littlejohn. Barry Robinson. And you're listening to True Wealth on News Radio 939 FM and 1240 KQEN. And we are back for this, the home stretch of the True Wealth Show. I'm your host, Dave Littlejohn. Joining me in studio today, Barry Robinson. And Barry, we have we covered some ground, right? And I, I want to get back to just the, the, the housing's tricky in Douglas County, right? What are some options? I mean, if folks are out there and they're trying to figure this out, okay, uh, what are you? What are some of the things? I mean, you just brought this really interesting stat at the break, like how many houses are for sale by owner. Okay. Yeah, it's pretty high, actually, in Douglas County. I mean, we have some really good realtors, and I always suggest you use a professional, but if you have a certain skill set, you want to sell your house by yourself, then yeah. well, you, in can, this case, you can if, do that. But if somebody's trying to sell by themselves and you're trying to buy, right? I think the selling, that's not what I'm talking about. I mean, if you're looking for a house, oh. for sale by owner may be tricky because maybe they haven't gotten it into the RMLS system. It may not be in a lot of the, the typical search engines. So... That means that you may have to do more homework to find inventory that's not discovered. That could literally mean driving around and looking at yard signs right. at times. Uh, so th this is also why I like realtors, because uh, the realtors I know that are good at their craft, they literally do that. Right? They'll just kind of they'll canvas neighborhoods. And, they, and here's another thing, um, kind of a, a shout out for realtors is uh, pocket listings. Okay, so do you, Barry, do you ever, do you guys ever talk about pocket listings? I've had several clients say that they knew a realtor and they said, oh, I know about this house and it wasn't on the market and they got it. Yeah, and that's exactly what a pocket listing is, is the realtor knows that somebody is thinking about selling and what will happen is you're speaking to them and they go, oh, you know what, let me go inquire to these people and it may be just the right timing in their life. They don't really want to deal with a lot of time on the market and you're just matched up really quickly and the transaction happens really fast. So I think there is something to be said for uh, having relationship with quality professional for those reasons. Another thing we were talking about on break too is the amount of uh, private money, um, owner carry type transactions yeah. in Douglas County. There's a lot of that. We at Maritidal, we're the only company that collects um, payments for people in Douglas County. We, in and we call it account servicing. Some people call it collection escrow, whatever the term is. But a seller sold, instead of you going to the bank and getting money to buy it, and instead of giving them cash and they just put it in the bank and get low interest rate, they they want the payments. And so we're the yeah. company Collexos, but we serve over 12,000 people monthly at my maritime office yeah. here in Roseburg that's, collecting that's payments. That's pretty huge. It's yeah. also pretty important to think about because consider if you uh, – something called an installment sale okay this is something that it, it's a tax scenario where maybe you don't want to sell your house all at once and pay the capital gain especially uh for um rental properties rental properties installment sales are more popular because primary residents you get a big capital gains exemption but rental properties you often don't and so if you sell it and incur all of the taxes at the transaction then what do you end up with you end up with the tax bill all at once installment sale which is essentially what you're kind of talking about is the owner is is the bank and but you are you're not selling it in one transaction and collecting interest you're actually collecting fractional payments and then incurring the tax as you go so your sort of co-ownership as you transition out of the equity 
And don't just go do this blindly on your own, right? You're going to want to talk with a tax professional. You're going to want legal paperwork in place. And you're likely to want somebody like Barry helping you manage this process so that it, it happens cleanly and legally and that the IRS blesses it. And right. again, in Douglas County, why we have so many for, or owner carry type properties, especially as interest rates, we've seen a lot more activity uh, as interest rate rise because the seller is saying, well, I'm happy with 5 or 6% on my house. You make me monthly payments for some of the benefits you just talked about. Or they just think it's a better risk than trying to invest it in something. Or they don't have to think about it as much. In the buyer, there's all kinds of advantages because they don't have a lot of bank fees or appraisal fees. And those type of things that add to the cost. And if you have a good down payment, most sellers who want to do owner carry will let you do it even if people might be trying to reestablish credit or maybe the house, maybe there's some work that needs to be done on it so it doesn't qualify for a conventional loan. Um, so there's a lot of reasons why people do own or carry or private money. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's certainly worth considering if it's uh, whether or not it's appropriate for you is going to be unique and individual. Uh, I just want to leave you with sort of this parting thought that uh, if you're about to do a real estate transaction, it is the uh, buyer's prerogative typically uh, you can ask for the title company that you want. So yeah. In Oregon, it's the, the client's choice. It's not the realtor. It's not the lender. So we like you to choose a mayor title. There uh, you go. Again, we have good title companies in Douglas County. So. Very good. Well, we're out of time for this round. But Barry, thanks again for joining us today. And uh, thank you all for joining us. Uh, if you need additional help, please don't hesitate to contact us. 541-375-0898.